Well, it's so good to see you today. I'm glad that uh, you came. Um, for those of you who uh, are wondering, um, I'm just going to say right up front, guess what? I'm not Pastor Ricky. <laughs> and uh, I know, I know, um, I'm not him. And uh, so he's uh, not uh, speaking today, but I am. And uh, as one of the kids said to me last week when I was speaking to them, they said, you speak funny. And so I apologize that right up front today. I do speak funny. And uh, Pastor Ricky spoke last week about the gift of tongues. You are not hearing the gift of tongues this morning. It's just an English accent. <laughs> and so um, we're so glad to be here. Me and my wife, Rachel, um, who was on the keys this morning, and our two children, Seth, who is 10, and Phoebe, who is 7. Uh, we have recently moved to Urbana-Champaign to be a part of the team here at Stone Creek Church, and we're really excited about that. We are. And, um, you know, you are a part of an amazing church. Um, and I just, I just get a sense uh, this morning that uh, God is, is magnetizing people and provision towards this church for a reason. And uh, we're excited about that. In fact, me and my, my wife, Rachel, before kids, we were here at Stone Creek Church, if you were around then, around about 11 years ago as interns here. And uh, we had a great time here, got a vision of what a life-giving church could be. And then at the end of our year as interns, um, we were unleashed to a God-breathed horizon, right? That's the vision of this church. So we unleash people to God-breathed horizons. And we went back and we helped pioneer and lead a church in the north of England. That's where we've been for the last 11 years. And then our time came to an end there. We felt um, at the end of, of last year, and we started the process of seeking God for what's next. And this is our next, we feel. This is our next. And we're excited about that. Um, anyway, enough about us. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open up at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We've been on a, a series, and Pastor Riggie's been doing such a great job of just unpacking this, this series that we're on, uh, Discovering and Exploring the Person of the Holy Spirit. And the title of the series is this, Two Thirds is Not Enough. That in the life of a Christ follower, we need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work. And sometimes we settle for two, and we're not sure about the third, the Holy Spirit, but uh, we've been unpacking just so brilliantly how the Holy Spirit um, wants to be involved and empower us to live the kind of dynamic lives that we could live as Christ followers. And so we've been, we've been excited about that whole journey that we've been on. And we're going to continue that this morning. In fact, next uh, week, uh, we have Sean Smith with us for both Sunday services, the 9 and the 10. There's no 8 o'clock next Sunday. And uh, you're going to really enjoy hearing Sean uh, speak, just an amazing communicator and uh, an imparter of the Spirit of God. And so uh, I want to encourage you to be here for that. Also in the evening, we have the encounter night, which is going to be amazing. We're going to have uh, time to press, really press into the presence of God and to encounter Him in a new way. So please make sure, if you can, you're here for that. We'd love you to join us for that. I remember as I cast my mind back to um, the first time I encountered the Spirit of God, I was 17 years old. I'd grown up in a Christian family. Both my mother and father were first-generation Christ followers, which means this, that no person in their family line had um, followed Jesus until they made a decision to follow Jesus. And so I remember we would go to church each week. Not this kind of church. As you can imagine, quite a formal church, being English. We're quite refined and reserved. 
And um, I remember as soon as I could make a decision for myself, I didn't connect with the church and I didn't connect with the God that they spoke about. It's not that I disbelieved in God, I did believe in God, but I just never met him for myself. And so in my teenage years, I wandered. And I made some, some really uh, stupid decisions. And I remember at 14 years old, I stopped attending school. I got into wrong relationships and all that comes with, with that kind of lifestyle as well and substance misuse and all that kind of stuff. And my life was in turmoil and a mess. And I remember at 17 years old, my mum and dad sat me, my mother and father sat me down and they said, um, you can't keep going on this trajectory and we can't have you in the home anymore because of the dysfunction that you're bringing. And so they showed me the door and it's the best thing they ever did. I gave my sister a call who was newly married. She lived 200 miles away from where I lived in the north of England. She lived in the south in Dartford, Kent, just on the outside of London. And I gave her a call and I said, listen, mom, mom, mom and dad, they, they've had enough. I don't have a place to stay. Can I come and live with you? And she said, yes. Her and her newly married husband, they'd been married a couple of months and then I showed up. Way to spoil your first year of marriage, right? A dysfunctional teenager showing up in the mix. And I remember the first Sunday that I was there, they were both, both Christ followers, both committed Christians, involved in a local church. And my brother-in-law, he said to me, he said, will you come to church with us today? I said, not a chance. Don't push your religion on me. And he said, well... We're going out for lunch afterwards, and if you come to church, I'll buy you lunch. I said, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I mean, anything for a free lunch, right? Anything, anything based around food, I'm there. I thought, I've sat through churches before. I can suffer church for a good lunch. And I remember walking into that small little Pentecostal church in Dartford, Kent, on the outside of London. And I'd been to church before, but I'd not been to this kind of church. The people actually smiled at me as I walked in, which is a good start, right? And they were friendly. They wanted to know me. And I'm thinking, what is this place? As the worship began, there was, a, there was an energy to their worship. They weren't just stood watching a band perform or re refinedly singing along to a hymn, but they were thoroughly engaged in, in worship that they were the chorus and the choir to the sound that was taking place on the stage. To the point where I remember it feeling deafening to stand in their presence. But it wasn't just their passion that got me. I could sense something, what I know now, someone. The Holy Spirit. And as I looked around, people raised their hands. I'd never been in a church where people raised their hands before. I'm looking up at the ceiling thinking, why are they raising their hands? Like, what, what is this? And you know, when you first join a church that's vibrant and, and uh, you come in and people are lifting their hands, like you're a little bit shocked by it. And then all of a sudden, after a while, you maybe get a little bit courageous and start putting your hands out yourself. Like just a quick little hand put out. Like, oh, you're just... And then if you're courageous enough, there's the little uh, stand. Not, not, not fully engaged in armpit yeah, right yet, but just a little like, oh, sort of like, I'm, in, I'm with you. And then all of a sudden, hey, there's the raising hands and you're there. And I remember looking around at these people who were passionate passionately worshiping. I remember someone standing up on the stage and praying, not just words, but it felt like it was coming from a place of knowing and experience 
and I was, I was overwhelmed. I remember the preacher getting up to preach that day. I still remember the outline that he spoke on. And it felt like every word that he said was directed towards me. Have you ever felt like that? Like who's been telling him about me? I'm looking at my brother-in-law, giving him a look like, did you tell him I was coming? And in his, in his clothes, he had asked people to stand. And he invited people who were ready to respond to the call of Christ down to the front, to the altar. And then he, he gave an insight. He, he felt like he had a prompting by God. And he started speaking about how God had showed him there was someone there that day who'd been trying all kinds of stuff to fill a void that only God could fill. And he's talked to, 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 to us about how we were looking for, how I was looking for substance, substances to fill a need that only the Spirit could fill. And I remember thinking, how does he know? And he said, um, this is your day to meet Jesus. And I could feel it burning. I could feel the presence of God. I never felt it before. But I was still fighting. And I was having an internal conversation. I was saying, there's no way I'm walking to the front of this church. What will people think? And my brother-in-law leaned over and he whispered in my ear. And he said this. He said, does he have to say your name? Does he have to say your name? And at that point, I broke down in tears. And I couldn't contain what was going on inside me. And I didn't walk down to the front. I ran down to the front that day. And I got on my knees and I said, God, I need you. A month later, I attended a convention where they invited people to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. I was the first one down to the front baptizing the Holy Spirit. A month later, they, the, the church were running a missions trip to Ireland. You know that people need Jesus in Ireland, right? And um, I was the first one to sign up on that missions trip. Two months after being saved, I was spirit-filled and on a mission field preaching on the streets to people about the, the amazing work that Jesus has done and how he can save your soul. And it wasn't because I was wonderful or amazing, far from it. But I'd encountered God for myself. You see, I grew up in, in church and I had Christian parents. My mum would faithfully pray and read Bible stories to me every night. I knew the Bible inside out. I didn't doubt that there was a God. I thought the evidence was too great to suggest there couldn't be a God. I just never experienced him. And that day things changed because my, my evidence for God met an experience with God. And that's when life transformation can take place, right? When God begins to grab hold of your life and take you on a journey you could have never imagined. He did it for me and he can do it for you. When evidence meets experience, and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, he speaks about the life of a Christ follower. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is what we call a doxology. It is a hymn, it is a poem, and it, is, it was meant to be read out in the church in Ephesus as, as a sign and as a symbol, as an act of worship publicly. And it's a beautiful psalm, it's a beautiful song, because it expresses the fullness of the Godhead who is one but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in an amazing way. And I wanna, if, if I can, just in our brief time together, just walk us through the different blessings 
that we receive from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Paul outlines in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this in verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. He says this. He says, Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. One little power-packed verse which possesses three distinct different blessings. The word in the verse, the words in the word, verse that we just read reference blessing three times. You know, they are in the original language in which the New Testament was wrote, Koine Greek. It's not a language which is, which is spoken anymore, but it is a language that is studied. And in, in the original Greek, the three words that are used for blessing are three different words. And they relate to the three different persons of the Trinity. And they emphasize different qualities of the Trinity. The first one that he uses, he says this, he says, blessed be God the Father. Blessed be God the Father. The Greek word that he uses there for blessed is this, it's eulogetos, eulogetos. And it literally means this, someone that he's worthy of speaking well of. He says, blessed be the Father because he is worthy of speaking well of. How true. That he is our Father and he is worthy. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes further in Ephesians chapter 1 to talk about um, the action of the Father. He says that the Father chose you and me before we chose him. And he's adopted us into his family. How amazing. That's worthy of being praised. Yeah? Blessed be God the Father. Someone who is worth speaking well of because he's adopted us and he's chosen us into his family. I've got two children, as I said, Seth and Phoebe, and they have, I don't know whether it's a, they consider it a privilege, but they may do one day, they have the privilege of addressing me as dad. Dad. They're the only two children who can call me Dad. In fact, if I walked around Urbana Champagne and every kid started calling me dad, then my wife would have some questions, right? <laughs> but it's a term of endearment and intimacy. Father, Father, you've chosen us. You've chosen us. In fact, when the, the apostles, when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, how does he begin his prayer? Ah. Father, our Father who art in heaven. What a great way to be able to approach the creator and sustainer of all things. The one who spoke the world into being. The one who's revealed to us in Genesis chapter, chapter one as Elohim, God Almighty. The Almighty God who structured all things asks you and me and invites us into a relationship with him and we can refer to him as Father. No wonder Paul says, blessed be God the Father because he's so worthy of being spoken well of. The next blessing that Paul refers to when he states that verse is he says this, who has blessed us? Who has blessed us? Notice the past tense of the blessing. It's a work that is already carried out and completed. In fact, the word that he uses is this, eulogau, eulogau, blessed, who has blessed us. It's the act of blessing the, to act on someone's behalf 
and it relates to something that has already been done. Can you see the, the image of Jesus in the blessing? That we believe that the, the crucifixion and resurrection is a finished work, right? As he, as he hung on the cross with the weight of sin and hum, and for all humanity upon himself, what did he declare? It is finished. If he never blesses us again, he's blessed us enough. If he never answers another prayer, he's done enough work. The finished work of Jesus is enough. Who has blessed us? He has. And we're thankful for his blessing. And yet so often we spend our time as Christ follows trying to search for something we've already received. My father, as he got on in years, his eyes were failing and he would wear glasses and he would often walk into the room where we were as a family and he would say, has anybody seen my glasses? And we would all look at him and we would say, dad, they're on your head. You've already got what you're looking for. And you have, according to Paul, you have everything that you need. I have everything that I need in order to live a life of fullness in Christ and a life of purpose on this world, on this earth, because of what he's already done. Not a work of the flesh, but a work of God in sending his son and the son is submitting to the act through the cross and resurrection. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, we are not sitting here and groaning and crying and fretting and worrying and questioning our own salvation. He has blessed us and therefore we will bless him. If you think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to a gracious God. How much has he done for us? In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians that he has redeemed us through his blood. He has given us the forgiveness of our sins. According to his riches, he has made known to us the fullness of his will. According to his counsel and his purpose. I'd say this morning, each and every one of us are pretty blessed. Blessed be God the Father because he's worthy of speaking well of who has blessed us through the work of his son. And the third area of blessing, he says this, he says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice the location of these blessings are in the heavenlies, which means they're not physical and no one can take them from you. The, the Old Testament tells us that the inheritance for Israel was the land. The New Testament teaches us that the inheritance for Christ's followers is the spiritual blessings that God stored up for us supernaturally in the heavenlies. And each and every one of us can experience those. The word that he uses here to talk about the spiritual blessing is eulogia eulogia and it literally means this a favor or a gift a benefit listen to this I love this part or a spiritual advantage wow how different would our lives look if we woke up every morning saying today 
I've got an advantage. I've got a spiritual advantage. I've not, I'm not woke up with disadvantages. There might be challenges that I'm walking, walking through, but I've got a spiritual advantage. I've got a father who's for me. I've got a son who's paid the price for me. And I've got a spirit who's got spiritual blessings stored up for me, for me to experience in my days. I've got an advantage. Um, back in England, um, I used to play badminton. Anybody in here play badminton? Yeah, so you know what badminton is? The racket and a shuttlecock and... I wasn't the best badminton player, but I would win nine times out of 10. And here's why. is people were technically better than me. They had better shot selection than me, but I would run after every shot. They couldn't hit it short and me watch it land. I would run and get that shot. They couldn't hit it long and me not run for that shot. I'm getting it back. Tenacity won me the game. Because every time I went in, I knew I had an advantage. That I, and I would play the game I wanted to play, right? Uh, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't play their game, I'd play my game. I'd hit them long, take them short, hit them long, take them short, run them around, and eventually they would give in, even though they were better. Because I knew I had an advantage. And then the, afterwards, they would always speak to me and say, I don't know how you beat me. You're not that good. <laughs> I'd say, I know but I've got an advantage. <laughs> and in life, life in the spirit, you can live out your days knowing that God is for you and he has given you gifts. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is with you. The personal Holy Spirit is with you, helping you in your days to live the life that God created for you to live, to accomplish the purpose and the plan that God has, has directly given for your life. What an amazing truth that we could live with that reality. In fact, this spiritual advantage that Paul speaks about, the word that he uses for spiritual is pneumatikos, which means something that has been imparted by the Holy Spirit. So Paul's showing us an outline of how the Christ follower is to live with an acknowledgement of the Father, the Son and His finished work, but empowered and living out their days with a spiritual advantage which is imparted by the Spirit of the living God. And I don't know about you, I want all three. I want all three. Not just I want all three, I need all three. I need it. In fact, further on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you were marked by Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You were marked. You've been given a seal. I don't know if any of you like to study or participate in art, whether it be pottery or painting. And usually when a potter is finished with the, the clay that they are molding, what they'll do is they'll turn it around and they'll put their mark on the underneath. It's marked with their name. Usually a painter, after they've painted a, a great picture, is they will sign the bottom corner and they will mark it with their name. Their external marks. But there's an artist, I don't know if you've heard of him, called Banksy. And Banksy is an amazing street artist. 
And he turns up in locations, secret locations, nobody knows. And he paints murals in communities. Big, beautiful murals. And, and nobody knows who Banksy is. But, and, and here's what he did a few years ago. He stopped marking his artwork. So we'd show up randomly in communities, paint a big mural, and when people woke up in the morning, they would see this beautiful picture that was created. And then the professionals would come in and they would study the picture and they would certify, yep, it's a Banksy. And they would say, how do you know it's a Banksy? And they would say, well, he has a particular style. He has a particular technique. And he likes to portray images in a particular way. You know, when the Apostle Paul talks about us being given a sign and a seal, he's not talking about an external marker. He's not talking about a fish sticker on your car or a cross around your neck or a Bible under your arm. He's talking about something that takes place on the inside of you that distinguishes you and marks you in a different way to anything else. It's the inner working of the Holy Spirit that transforms a life and, and helps you to, to be the kind of husband or wife that you would want to be and that Christ would want you to be. To, be, to, to steward your kids in such a way, shaped and marked by the inner working of the Spirit that you could not muster up in your natural strength, but there's a supernatural touch on your life, enabling you to be who you could not be on your own. It's the kind of work that helps you walk into your workplace and make the kind of difference that a Christ follower should make in their workplace, not because of your intellect or your wisdom, but because of the Spirit of God at work in your life. It's the kind of inner work that transforms neighbourhoods and lives and communities and churches because we couldn't muster it up. We submit and surrender to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, transform us from the inside out. You'll be marked with a seal. In fact, we're talking about the, the church in Ephesus, what Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And I love how the, the book of Acts gives us an inside story on the church in Ephesus. He gives us the back, back they give, give us the back story. This is Paul's first encounter in Acts chapter 19 with disciples from Ephesus. And he says this in verse chapter one. It says, while apostle was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, where he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men in all. Interesting that as the Apostle Paul meets these disciples from Ephesus, his first question about their faith is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It was such a pressing, pressing issue for Paul. It was the first question that he asked. And then as he opens up Ephesians chapter one and he writes this beautiful doxology, this, this hymn and this poem and this psalm, 
and he includes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and talks beautifully about the seal, the mark that comes on the inside of a believer when the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. He pulls them back to the centrality of their faith. The two-thirds is not enough. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I recently moved to the area and we've been doing some home renovations on our house and I didn't bring any tools with me from England to America. And so I was taking down some cabinets the other week and I went and bought myself a screwdriver, a manual screwdriver. Remember those? And I began to, to unclip all the cabinet and it was taking me so long and it took so much effort. So much so, I just got demoralized and tired. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is my wife's idea, by the way, to take this cabinet apart. And um, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I called my friend. I said, have you got any power tools? He said, yeah, just come and borrow it. So I went and borrowed his drill, power drill. Came back to the house. The same work that I was sweating over took me minutes to complete because I now had a power source that was greater than my manual human effort. And now I could use and lean on something that enabled me to do something I could not do in my own strength. That's what the Spirit of God does. You can live a life based on effort and energy and you can make some progress, but it's hard and it's laboursome and you don't get the results that you want. But when you lean on the Holy Spirit, the enlightening and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, He can give you the power to do what in your natural self you could not do. In 1998, was the Winter Olympics in Japan. And they had a storm unlike no other at the Winter of Olympics. And for three days, they had a whiteout, complete whiteout. They had to stop the games. In the middle of this whiteout, they would notice that there were some trees on a mountainside which continued to blossom. They seemed untouched by the storm. And so after the storm was over and later on, they researched these trees and found out there was some volcanic activity underneath the trees that enabled them to keep their blossom and bloom in the midst of the storm. The life that we're living sometimes can appear chaotic. And you and me need a source that's unseen, that's underneath, that's on the inside, that gives us the ability, enables us to bloom in the midst of chaos. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so as Paul writes, and we're going to close in just a second, but as Paul writes, he says this, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be the Father who has blessed us through his Son and wants to bless us through his Spirit.